my invitation for you is to figure out when you're in shame, what do you need to get back on your feet? I have to be alone. It will take at least 15 minutes and I will cry before it's over. For sure. That's Brene Brown. And this is the Depression Detox Show. Welcome back to the Depression Detox Show, where we share ideas and stories to help you live a happier life. I am your host, Malik Josephs. Happy Wednesday. I am grateful for you tuning in with me today. And we have Brene Brown back on the show. And she is just one of the best speakers in today's day and age, because I think it's her ability to weave in stories to really illustrate her points. And in today's talk, she does just that as she discusses her research about three responses to shame and what it takes to be shame resilient. Here's Brene Brown. Enjoy. So one of the things that's important about knowing that you're in shame is this. Remember we talked about the prefrontal cortex and the limbic system? Men and women with high levels of shame resilience know when they're in shame. Here's why. When we're in shame, we are not fit for human consumption. We normally, if we're around another person, will engage in a behavior that exacerbates shame. So I turned what people know who have high levels of shame resilience into questions for those of us to answer who want shame resilience. What are your physical symptoms of shame? Say it. Gut, what does your gut do? Tight. Tight. Face flushes, turns red. Choked up, I'm gonna cry. Palms tingle. Small. Inability to hold a gaze. Okay, so do you know what you just described? Trauma symptoms. It's the exact same if you were in Afghanistan right now and something traumatic happened. If you were on the highway and had to slam on your brakes because you were getting ready to go into an accident. These are trauma symptoms. We experience shame as trauma. Shame is traumatic. And so men and women with high levels of shame resilience know they're in shame. For me, time slows down, my mouth gets dry, I get tunnel vision and my armpits tingle. It's exactly what would happen to me if I had to slam on my brakes and my kids were in the car or I was looking up and there was a wreck right in front of me because it hijacks the limbic system. Why? Shame is trauma because for us, when we're small, I mean, now shame is the threat of being unlovable. The definition of shame is the extremely painful belief or experience of thinking that we are unlovable, that we are unworthy of connection and belonging. So from the time that we're born through mid-elementary school, to be unlovable is a threat to survival. You don't love me. You don't feed me. You don't provide shelter. You don't provide caring. So shame is crazy making. It's not like we go into shame and then we think, oh, 
I have a warm wash of inadequacy coming over me. I feel small and unlovable, yet I know that's not true. You know, that's not how shame works. You know, I come out swinging when I'm in shame. You know, and so one of the reasons we know, I mean, perfect story that I tell often is from the, it's in I Thought It Was Just Me, one of the early research interviews. A woman goes, fills her car up with gas, goes inside a filling station, pays, her credit card is declined. The guy makes her leave her wallet and her wedding ring and just leave with an ATM card to go get money from an ATM machine. She gets in the car, she slams the door. Her three-year-old's in the back seat, asleep in the car seat. He wakes up and starts crying. What do you think happens? She starts screaming for, she said, the next five miles, shut up, just shut the f- up. She said she had never even cursed in front of her kids. She said, I had no idea what was wrong with me. All I knew in that second was not only am I a loser, white trash person that has no money on my credit card, but I'm a crappy mom too. We have a tendency to engage in behaviors that exacerbate shame when we're in shame. And the people who are most vulnerable are the people around us that have less power than us. How many of you have ever seen that play out at work? When your boss or someone gets shamed and they just discharge right on whoever's next to them. We're dangerous in shame. We need to get back on our emotional feet before we engage with the world. So you need to figure out, my invitation for you is to figure out when you're in shame, what do you need to get back on your feet? I have to be alone. It will take at least 15 minutes and I will cry before it's over. For sure. I have walked out of faculty meetings, group therapy, when I was facilitating it. (laughs) Um, Yes, which is why I always recommend that you have a co-facilitator. Because let me tell you, are there any mental health professionals in the room? Yeah, let me tell you something. Let me tell you how shame works for all of you mental health professionals. Let me tell you why the little outcome data we have shows that clinical interventions around shame are more likely to exacerbate shame than to heal it. Meaning the outcome data that we have say that we make your shame worse when you come see us. Because let me tell you how shame works in the clinical situation. You're with me and you're the client and I'm the therapist and you come in and and shame comes into the room with you, you tell a shaming story, here's what shame does. It drops to the floor, goes across the carpet and up my leg and around my neck. All shame has to do to bring down a therapeutic healing process is bring down the practitioner. So the bottom line doing shame work for mental health professionals is you got to do this work to do this work. You got to be really clear on what shame is for you because it is one of the most contagious affects we experience. So shame is very contagious. So when I say I've walked out of a room, I really did have to walk out of a room. I was so deep in shame from this woman's story that I just knew that, and and we came back and processed it. I've walked out of a one-on-one meeting with my boss and said, I'm gonna need to reschedule, this is not productive. I've got that memorized. I'm gonna need to reschedule, this is not productive. I'm gonna need to reschedule, this is not productive. (laughs) It's the only thing. Like my, my shame thing is don't say anything, text anything, email anything. I'm gonna need to reschedule, this is not productive. That's that's what I do. Because I'm gonna come out swinging. The Stone Center is great at Wellesley. They have Linda Hartling led a group of researchers to look at the ways we respond to shame. And they came up with three. You know, Freud had the defense mechanisms, right? They took those, and it's kind of Karen Horney's work, where they said, we, our three responses to shame, this is really important for you to think about in your own lives, is we move away, 
we move toward or we move against. So moving away is something shaming happens and we silence ourselves and we secret keep. Moving toward is we people please. And moving against is we use shame to fight shame. So before we break from the session, I'll tell this quick story because I think it's very illustrative. I very early on, and probably maybe, well, Charlie's gonna be seven, so it was six years ago. I was teaching a class on global justice with Jody Williams, who is the Nobel Peace Prize winner. She was the head of the campaign to ban landmines. Jody got together with all the other living female laureates to create the Nobel Women's Initiative, where they shine a light, they're kind of use their Nobelness to shine a light on women activists on the ground. They put together a board, and I was asked to be on this board, and the meetings were in LA. And I'd have to be gone a week, which is, I've, it's the longest I've ever been away since and up until this point. And I had a six-month-old at the time. And so I really was torn about what to do until Steve finally said, you're going. This is your work. This is important. You should do it. It's great. I got it. So the Monday after I came back, I was in carpool line and a woman came up to my window. And every time I've had a conversation with this woman, I left feeling slimed. Um, she was just she was tough on me, I felt, every time we had a conversation. So she comes up and I'm in carpool line. I make the mistake of rolling down my window. And she says, where have you been? And so my authenticity mantra is don't puff up, don't shrink, stand your sacred ground. So to not puff up meant, I've been changing the world. What have you been doing? You know, like, don't puff up. Like, you know, don't puff up. You know, if, you, if you're ever around me and I lead with Dr. Brene Brown, be like, oh, shame gremlins are out. You know, like, right. Um, so I just said, oh, I was away on business. And she said, you were gone the whole week. This is Texas, so you have to understand. So I said, I was. She said, who took care of those kids? And I said, well, my mom took off a couple days and she took care of them. And then my mother-in-law came in for a couple days and then Steve took a day off. She says, he's so sweet to raise those kids while you're gone? And I was like... Right after he impregnated me, and you know, yeah, they're his kids, yeah. So I didn't say that, but I'm thinking that. So let me be clear about what I said. So I'm like, yeah. And she said, but this is like, this is, if you hear this in Texas, you have been just slimed. Bless your heart. <laughs> that means you're fixing to get nailed, and God's on that person's side. So she said, bless your heart. It's got to be so hard to be on the road and let other people raise those kids for you. So immediately my armpits tingle. I go into tunnel vision, you know? And so my mantra, this is not productive. I've got to reschedule. I've got to, you know. <laughs> but this is actually what I did. This is from a woman named Caroline who I interviewed like four years ago. She told me to practice shame resilience. Whenever she was in shame, she would go like this. Pain, 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 pain. And she said, I know it's crazy. And I'm like, it is not crazy. It is brilliant. It is neurobiologically brilliant because what do you think she's doing when she does that? What do you think happens? She's getting her prefrontal cortex back online, right? So she's coming out of like lizard brain. So I was like, hey, 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 hey. So I just said, I better pull up because I was in carpal line. I better pull up. And I rolled up the window and the person in front of me had not moved an inch. And she's still standing outside my window. And so I just go, okay, so let's talk about these three ways we can do this. Moving, moving, moving away. I could have, and I've done this many times in my life, I could have moved away. 
I could have disappeared in my own community, slithered in to pick up my kids from school, slithered home, not answered calls, just disappeared. How many of you disappear when you're in shame? Okay, I could have disappeared. I used to think it was a more benign way of handling shame, but let me tell you, when you disappear on people, it pisses them off. It worries them, and then it pisses them off. And then you, ha- then you have to be like, well, there was a big story, but there's not really a story. Um, so disappearing is not benign. The second thing I could have done is I could have people-pleased. I could have looked at her and I could have said, you know what? I wish I was a mom like you. You're so awesome, which I've done a hundred times. Then you risk vomiting in your own mouth. <laughs> no, like, no, you do. You risk, you risk being disappointed with yourself, right? Because that's not authentic. Shame resilience is all about maintaining authenticity and moving through shame or move against. I could have looked at her and said, have you seen your kids in school? You should let someone raise them for a week. (laughs) Which is really, I know y'all are thinking she's terrible, but that's really where I would go because I'm quick on my feet. How many of you would go there? Yeah, again, my people. I hope you're the blamers too because we've got a lot in common. But the thing is, think about this. If shame resilience, if the goal of shame resilience, shame resilience is awesome because here's what shame resilient people have that a lot of us don't. They move through shame, maintain their authenticity and move through that process and come out the other side of it with more courage, compassion and connection than they had before the event. So I have to, so what I did, I picked up Ellen, went home. I didn't say anything. Got Ellen started on her homework and got her a snack, got my cordless phone and went into my closet and started crying and called my best friend and said, this is what just happened. And she's like, do I need to really tell you that you're a good mom and it's okay that you were in LA for five days? I'm like, you absolutely need to tell me that. She goes, I can tell you that. And and we talked about it and we ended up laughing, which is a weird kind of important part of shame resilience. I call it knowing laughter. Even my friends who do like incest survivor groups around shame will say that laughter is a very important measure. And it's not laughter as defense or self-deprecation. It's that, oh my God, I'm not the only one. Do you, know, do you know what I mean? The power of that. So shame resilience is empathy. It's about reaching out, telling our stories with someone who's earned the right to hear them, with someone who can meet us with empathy, who can look at us and say, I get it. Me too. I understand. It's about choosing those people carefully because you don't want to share a story with someone and that story is right up in their shame girl. Do you know what I mean? Because that, then they can come back and be like, oh my God, you did what? And that's not helpful. But shame resilience is about moving through it with authenticity and coming out the other end. Big thanks to Brene Brown for stopping by. Her website, her Instagram, and Twitter are all Brene Brown. Her most recent book is entitled Atlas of the Heart, Mapping Meaningful Connection and Language of Human experience. And I got this clip from her audio program, which is entitled The Power of Vulnerability, Teachings of Authenticity, Connection, and Courage. And if you'd like to hear more talks with Brene Brown, you can go to the show description and look at her previous episode section, where there'll be a list of all the past episodes that she has been on the show, with the two most popular episodes being episodes number 212 and 300. And 20. So you can go back and check those out if you like. And also all of the information that I just shared will all be in the show description below. So you can check out all the links to everything I just mentioned. And again, big thanks to Brene Brown. After you listen to this episode, please go over to your favorite podcast player app 
and follow the show or share the show or leave a rating and review. I appreciate you taking out the time to do that. I also appreciate you and I hope you have an amazing rest of your day and I will see you back here tomorrow. So until then, stay strong. Later.